breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome to another episode of Reform This. What are we trying to reform? Well, week to week, I try to bring you a little closer to the issues that are on the front edge, on the leading edge, the tip of the spear, if you will, in the battle against radical Islam and the ideas that are radicalizing Muslims across the planet and especially here in the United States. And in this conversation, you'll become, I think, a little more savvy, a little more aware and able to engage on platforms that are willing and open and honest enough to address the real issues, not be afraid of political correctness and try to bridge that divide between the Islamist mindset consciousness in the East or wherever it may be here with the Islamists and the West, secular liberal ideas, liberal democracy. I think that's where, and this program is about finding that those topics that educate us about what needs to be reformed. Reform is not only reinterpreting scripture, it's not only modernizing, it is about defeating the old ideas. It is about beginning to broaden the bandwidth of real diversity, ideological diversity. We're going to talk about that this week as the media and the uh, legacy media continues to be all mired in Trump derangement syndrome. And I, I mean, you know, I'm going to talk this about in a second, but two things I want to talk to you about. Iran, what's happening in Iran, and also who the local Muslim community leaders in Arizona, in Maricopa County here, invited you will not believe how radical the imam is that they invited to do the launching of their new alliance here. So much to learn. I, I just was flabbergasted in our own backyard. But first, Iran. Literally, literally, ladies and gentlemen, there was more time spent with, and pardon my French, this was all over the internet, Fartgate, which was about whether Eric Swalwell while he was doing an interview on MSNBC and a loud sound of flatus was heard, there was more volume, there was more traffic on the internet through social media, Twitter, Instagram, wherever it may be, about this incident earlier this week than there was at times about the Iran protests, about the people seeking freedom that were being shut down. So something's wrong. Is the is the world flipping on its axis? Is it rotating in the different direction? I don't know, but sometimes you have to ask yourself because while the legacy media was obsessed about these impeachment hearings, Iran suffered its largest internet shutdown ever in the 40 years, well, in the 40 years of the Khomeinis, but obviously the internet's only been around for half that time. But basically, the country went offline. You know that the regime, the Islamists, the Khomeinists are on their heels because when you take the entire country's internet offline, not only does that give you the green light to commit war crimes, 
to start slaughtering people with little footage, though hopefully they're taking footage and will document what's happening to spread later. But the economy takes a major, major hit, losing millions upon millions of reals, liras, dollars, yen, whatever you might be trading in against the sanctions. It's not going to happen if your internet's down. So, and compared to 2009... That was the last major revolution. There's been some hints, obviously. You've talked about people in the street and Qom and some of the major religious centers. But a week ago, a little less than a week ago, the Khomeinists running the economy decided to triple, somewhere increasing from 50 to 300% the fuel prices. And within hours, within a day, you had masses in the streets. So... With their economic strain, you know that the you know that the sanctions are working. You know that they're trying to suck more money out of their people, and the people are not going to take that. They're finally motivated to move in mass. And now the green light's been given to crush the protest, but they can only crush so much. Well, we've seen what happened in Syria, but Syria only lasted as long as it did because there was an Iran. There was a Russia fueling it. There's nobody external to Iran other than maybe Russia a little bit, but not enough really for the massive size of that country that's going to fuel that revel that's going to fuel that government and maintain it in power if its economy is completely paralyzed as a result of this November 2019 revolution. The Green Revolution was laid to waste by the Obama administration, who did little, sat on their hands as they needed technology, as they cried for technology, technological bypasses of the shutdown internet. And people say, oh, there's nothing the United States can do. There is a lot. Internal technology, VPN-type networks, um, Wi-Fi, broad distribution networks that bypass the normal neurologic system of of information transfer, if you will. There are ways to do it. The United States has the technology, and you know Secretary Pompeo and the private-public partnership of global information is helping the revolutionaries as we speak. We've seen them tweeting about it. We've seen them putting press releases out, and you saw President Trump himself this week in a number of tweets, especially one talk about the fact that the courageous people of Iran are speaking up, are speaking up against the theocrats. Is there an end in sight? There's no end in sight to the fuel prices being up, and if they go down, they will be exposing themselves as weak. Some of the naysayers have said that the the Khomeinists are resilient and that we shouldn't put too much stock in them disappearing. No dictator, no dictator can survive persistent, prolonged economic shutdown as a result of mass demonstrations. It just will not happen. They need the fuel from the people doing the work, the slaves of their dictatorship doing the work. 
Now, with the internet shut down, they learned quickly that that was Assad's initial initial failure was that the Syrian people thought that the YouTube revolution of videos getting out showing the war crimes committed by the Ba'athist military, Assadist military, that that somehow they were going to get sympathy, and it worked. The world paid attention. <laughs> but the Iranian fuel and Russian troops and others finally, after a long battle, ended up winning that, but the weakest element was information control. And the Iranians learned that. This revolution has been a long time coming. It's not only about the economic trigger that happened this week, but there has been almost weekly small to moderate-sized demonstrations in front of religious universities, in front of major mosques. And the Iranian people want back their country. They're telling the regime to stop fueling death in Syria, to stop working with the Russians, to stop their current crimes against humanity. And then you listen to the Khomeinis, you know Khamenei and others as they, oh, they still tweet. They're still tweeting, even though their internet is shut down. And Jack at Twitter hasn't done much with that, has he? They say that government propaganda is to blame. They're blaming the West. They're blaming the Zionists and all their conspiracy theories de jour. What does that show? It shows their weakness. And the other thing I need for you to put in context is these demonstrations are not just in Tehran. They're not in Qom. They're not just in Iran. In Baghdad, you've seen the, the, the people of Iraq moving in mass against the Islamists, the Shia Islamists. You saw the intelligence heads of the military police of Iran, Soleimani, violently taking control of a meeting in Baghdad. Mass demonstrations in Beirut now for weeks against Hezbollah and Shia theocratic control of Lebanon and their terrorist government. So these changes, there is, if you consider 2011, the Arab awakening, some called it a spring, this is the Persian awakening. This is the anti-Shia Islamist awakening. And finally, we have an awakening that's against political Islam, not just against military dictatorships. And as I've always said, because the Shia tradition is more heaped in clerical roles that the push against political Islam will come first against Shia Islamism and it may take longer against Sunni Islamism since the Sunnis are more deceptive in their theocratic, their quasi-clerical control when in fact it's basically the same thing as the Shia Islamists. But there's less deference, if you will, supposedly to the clerics, and yet you'd never know the difference with who's writing laws in Saudi Arabia or from Al-Azhar, but they just make it seem like the clerics are just giving advice, and yet the dictators run a Sharia state. But people, mass movements speaking out against Islamist theocratic dictatorship 
it only stood the reason that it was going to happen first against a government like Iran, which had a melding of its government and its Islamic Supreme Council into one. So we'll keep our fingers crossed. We'll continue to watch. Forget the legacy media that's ignoring it as if it's not happening. And by the way, why are they ignoring it? Well, we could think of four or five reasons. One, Obama's legacy was at the at the knees of the Islamic regime in Iran that they wanted a, a nuclear deal. So nothing that would then vindicate the sanctions of the Trump administration, vindicate the hard line against the Khomeinis could ever be advertised. So forget the propagandists and legacy media in New York in the old traditional media because the social media, the new media will let us know what's happening in Iran. Other reasons include Qatar, which is in bed with Iran and has significant influence as a lobby in Washington and New York and elsewhere and also does not want to see the West know much about what's happening in Iran. And last, sort of this obsession with partisan politics and if it doesn't make Trump look horrifically bad, then they're just not going to talk about it. Next, I have to talk to you about what is happening here in Arizona. You know, I've had my run-ins uh, with uh, a lot of the Islamist establishment here in Phoenix. And we've been based in Phoenix. American Islamic Forum for Democracy was founded in 2003 by some Muslim families that we all got together in my home for months and hammered out what our what our aims are, what our mission is, how we get there, what the principles of engagement and membership in our organization are, and we listed them as what ultimately later much of those principles became in 2015 part of a larger Muslim reform movement coalition. And our mission was to protect freedom and liberty through the separation of mosque and state to protect the U.S. Constitution through the separation of mosque and state. Few, very few understood what that meant. They thought, oh, you should just be against terrorism. And we said, listen, the, the end game of terrorists, violent or nonviolent, is the Islamic State, a state whose constitution is the Quran. And that's what this reform movement, that's what this reform program is about is showing you all the areas in which if Muslims look differently through a non-Islamist lens, we might be able to begin to defeat the movement of political Islam. I had my run-ins with the flying imams in 2008. If you don't know that story, maybe one of these podcasts I'll tell you about it. But a number of the imams here from Phoenix went to the National Imam Federation meeting in Minneapolis and upon returning decided to all have a mass prayer at a gate at the airport, and then some fears of other passengers started to be realized, right or wrong. Some of them were removed from the airplane. Care happened to be ready upon their landing with a press conference within two hours of any, any, any sniff of the story. Long story short, they then sued American Airlines, these imams. And after tons of media attention, and as they got media attention, we here in Phoenix tried to expose some of the reality of the ideas of some of these imams and how anti-American they are, how Islamist they are, how separatist they are. Not, we never said they were terrorists or violent, 
but obviously their ideologies, we believe, are upstream from some radicalization. And they didn't like that, that we spoke the truth about how they portrayed American troops, how they portrayed being an American citizen in this society. I've also had my run-ins at my own mosque with some of the leadership who demonized my work as Islamophobia, as Imam Yasser Ali did in a sermon in 2014, where he basically equated me with traitors, with Muslims who pretend to be Muslim. Well, what's happened this week? This week, all of a sudden, I learn about this organization here locally called the Arizona Muslim Alliance. You look at their corporate documents, and it is a coalition of the leadership of the of many of the mosques, the major mosques, and some of the Islamic organizations in Maricopa County, the large central county in the Phoenix Valley. And so this upstart coalition says that their mission, and they have it at their website at AZ Muslim Alliance, in which they talk about their mission is to unify the Muslim community. Their motto is AZ Muslims in unison. Their director, Sahfaraz Sheikh, who uses the address of the mosque in Scottsdale, the mosque which I've attended, my family attends, we've been a part of for many years. In fact, I helped their PR process when they were launching in 2001, right around 9-11, and there was some pushback. I've been a member of many mosques wherever I live, and I thought, as a, as a member of this Muslim community, it absolutely is right for them to have the religious freedom to build their mosque. And yet I've continued for over a decade to have my disagreements with their establishment, the Islamist establishment running it. Never been kicked out. I might have been sort of conveniently dismissed from teaching Sunday school. But again, that's their freedom to do that. But we still attend. We still go as often as we can. And the Arizona Muslim Alliance is apparently an attempt for them to wrest some type of leadership, not only with this mosque in Scottsdale, Arizona, but the mosque in Tempe, Arizona, the Islamic Community Center of Tempe, the Arizona Cultural Academy, and other mosques here locally in the Phoenix area. They posted their vision to be unifying the Federation of Muslim Organizations in Arizona, the leading advocate of the diverse Muslim community and a catalyst for enriching the society at large. Their mission is to unite the Muslim community in Arizona by establishing effective communication, enhancing cooperation, sharing resources, yada, yada, yada. And I say yada because, really, unite? It's a monolithic group. They define diversity even in their principles here. A diverse community not limited to certain race, national origin, or ethnicity. That's how they define diversity, not ideological diversity, liberal, conservative, fundamentalist, feminist, uh, whatever it might be. No, they, they don't use ideological diversity. That's not part of their diversity. No mention is made of ideological diversity because they are an Islamist monolithic coalition of the Islamist establishment in Maricopa County. 
they define, then they go on to define mainstream Islam. Mainstream Islam is a, quote, complete way of life guided by the authentic sources of Islam, the glorious Quran, and in the authentic tradition of the Prophet Muhammad. Then they say, here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. Other traditions, man-made rules, cultures, and ethnic behaviors and traditions are not considered as sources of of the Arizona Muslim Alliance, and they reserve the right to follow a ruling agreed upon by the majority of Islamic scholars. If that isn't a central Islamist doctrine, we don't know. I don't know what is. So why am I telling you about the Arizona Muslim Alliance? Well, as this podcast is airing this weekend, they're having their first annual Celebrate Unity Leadership Summit. The summit's going to be held at this prominent mosque in Scottsdale, Arizona on Saturday, November 23rd. And it's going to feature the unifying speaker and Islamic scholar, Imam Siraj Wahaj. Yeah. If you've listened to this podcast before, you'll know I've talked about Imam Siraj Wahaj. And he's going to be touring other affiliated mosques, giving the Friday sermon, and I think Chandler Mosque, and in Tempe, and elsewhere. Who's If you don't know who Imam Siraj Wahaj is, Siraj Wahaj Sr. I'll tell you about Junior. Sr. He's a notorious well-known radical Islamist anti-American cleric whose dossier of Islamist and separatist ideologies is legendary in the United States. I mean, his stuff is so radical. Even many of the -the dyed-in-the-wool Muslim Brotherhood leaders find him offensive. And yet this so-called regular community in Phoenix, the leaders who, many of whom, and this is, I'm taking the time to tell you about this because this is maybe happening in your hometowns, in your large cities, be it in Philadelphia, Atlanta, Chicago, Seattle, L.A., New York, wherever you might be. There's networks. The investigative project on terrorism showed that the, the uh, what is it, the USCMO, the, the combined meta, uh, Muslim organizations of Chicago, also had significant affiliation with some known Islamist leaders. This template keeps getting borne out wherever you might be. The fact that this local coalition of mosques, the Islamist establishment, and ladies and gentlemen understand what I'm talking about. When I say Islamist establishment, they don't care about what all the newer Muslims, the younger Muslims, uh, those who are looking for a new modern way to look at Islam, they don't care. These are the guys in beards and long robes who are suffocating our community and continuing to push down the throat of our community. These elders that are radical, that see America as Satan, The fact that this new coalition here in Phoenix, the fifth largest city in America, is sponsoring Wahaj and using his radical ideas as their first impression in the valleys in our Muslim communities is not only revealing, but also consequential in understanding the ideological underpinnings 
of various mosque leaderships involved in this consortium of so-called unity organizations. We put out a release this week calling on Arizonans and especially Muslim communities to speak out against the fringe ideas of Siraj Wahaj and guard against his likes and radicalization under the guise of unity. Let me read for you some of the things Wahaj has said. In October 1992, thanks to the IPT's audio, a brother asked me, he said, Brother Imam, and this is so apropos to unity, right? They're bringing him to talk about unity. Representing the largest Muslim organizations in this county, in this state. In 92, he said, a brother asked me, he said, Brother Imam Siraj, after you do all this traveling around the country, around the world, what would you like to focus on? He said, working in the unity of Muslims. Because you know what, brothers and sisters, if we were united, nobody could stop us. Wahaj further said, you wouldn't have to vote for Bush or Clinton. No, you wouldn't have to. If we were united, strong, we'd elect our own emir and give allegiance to him. And the rest of the world, take my word, six to eight million Muslims unite in America, the country will come to us. That's what he said. This guy's a separatist. He's never... Some may try to say, oh, he said that a long time ago. He hasn't done any 180. He hasn't changed anything. He's never, I couldn't find any evidence that this guy has repudiated any of the words he's ever said. Not once. When my book came out, one of the personal narratives I shared with my readers in 2012, A Battle for the Soul of Islam, was about my trip, my one and only trip to the ISNA convention in 1995, the Islamic Society of North America. I went in uniform, naval officer at the Bethesda Naval Hospital, went to present a paper with the chairman of our endocrine department, Dr. Muhammad Shakir. We were the only two Muslim officers at Bethesda Naval Hospital that I knew at the time. And we said, hey, let's go present this at the Islamic Medical Society. Islamic Medical IMA Association. And they happened to meet right before ISNA. So we stuck around the last day and went to the opening ceremonies of ISNA. Looked like there were 30,000, 40,000 people there. And there's the keynote speaker. And I said, gosh, you know, I remember hearing about this organization, but as I recall when I was at the university, they were affiliated with the MSA, and I did not like the MSA at all, the Muslim Student Association, because not only were they hyper-political, they were anti-Semitic, and obviously part of the Muslim Brotherhood. Didn't have too much contact with ISNA. Then they introduced their keynote speaker, and up comes this dynamic African-American preacher, Sadaj Wahaj. And he goes through his speech. Starts talking about how this country's focused on sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And how the president is evil because he's pro-abortion. And that there's one thing that could solve the evil that's running through the veins of this country. And he said it would be if they changed the Constitution to the Qur'an and not this man-made document. They said, can you believe a 
bunch of guys thought that they could write a document better than one written by God to run their government. I, I seriously was listening to this idiot and realized not only how seditious he was, but how anti-American and how traitorous this was. I sat down because I literally was lightheaded, realized I was in uniform, this guy was violating every oath I had promised to take, and I took. My captain said, we need to get out of here. I said, no, I'm not getting out of here. I'm going to make a statement to this guy. He then continued his speech saying that this country had lost its way because it wasn't run by Islam and that ultimately we needed to make the Quran and that the power of millions of Muslims could do that to make it the Constitution. So then after he was done, they talked about events coming up for the rest of the meeting and that people could announce various things. I went up to one of the microphones and I said, Assalamu alaikum. This is my first and my last meeting at the Islamic Society of North America. And I am publicly renouncing my membership in my military uniform in this organization because I don't know what you guys just felt you listened to, but what you just heard goes well beyond free speech. That's seditious. You're welcome to disagree with policies, say whatever you want about the government up and down, but to talk about replacing the Constitution wholesale is seditious. And I'll have nothing to do with it. And if, you, if any of you value your citizenship oath, you should reject this organization. And we're leaving. That was my only contact with Imam Siraj Wahaj. He has a long track record of separatism and anti-American, anti-Semitic vitriol. He vilifies America left and right. Now, some of that's decreased since 9-11 because he found it to be a professional liability. But he seemed to have been associated with people left and right with him that ended up having significant problems with terror. Fast forward to 2018, Siraj Wahaz Jr. and his family and something like 11 or 12 people, most of whom were children, were found holed up in an, in an encampment in the middle of nowhere, off the grid in New Mexico. The FBI and DOJ moved in to take over the case and they found the dead body of a three-year-old Abdul Ghani Wahaj, Siraj Wahaj Jr.'s son, who had been killed in an exorcism attempt because they thought he was possessed. Wahaj Jr. and a couple other of the men that he was with had decided to train these kids how to blow up a school and a hospital. That's what they were being trained to do. After this, predictably, the Council on American-Islamic Relations released a press release 
calling on people to stop the Islamophobic hate against the good, respected Imam Siraj Wahaj Sr. as he tipped off the FBI about where they were, etc., etc. You know, whenever they say this, it reminds me of the alcoholic parents whose kid gets strung out on heroin and, and, and LSD and what else. God knows what else. And then when he's off to kill somebody, they call the cops. They contributed to his mentality of substance abuse, of self-loathe and all the things that led him to substance use. But then when he finally went off militant, then they call the cops. And in his Facebook video, Wahaj wasn't, Wahaj Sr. was not contrite. He actually was blaming the media blaming the society, America, for the radicalization and the impressions that were being left. Look at the video. It's linked on our homepage at AIFdemocracy.org. It's on his Facebook page, too. And this guy, Wahaj Sr., had no insight into how his ideas upstream Separatist ideas might have contributed to his sons and family's apple not falling far from their tree and deciding to become wacky separatists, militant separatists versus just the nonviolent separatists that call for nonviolently replacing the Quran, the Constitution with the Quran. Okay, so you say, well, his kids might have been. That's not fair. He might have been crazy. Well, okay, what about, oh, Wahaj was the first guy who gave the first prayer at the U.S. Congress in 1991, first American Muslim to give a prayer of invocation, 1991. Who invited him there? The strongest lobby to Congress, supposedly moderate Muslims, the American Muslim Council. Who headed the American Muslim Council that brought Wahaj into Congress? On a video we have posted on our website, Abdurrahman Alamudi. Where's Abdurrahman today? Serving 25 years in jail for aiding and abetting the Libyan government in an assassination attempt against the king of Saudi Arabia, for carrying cash, $300,000, in terror financing with Al-Qaeda. That's where Abdurrahman Alamudi is today. in a high-security military prison. But Wahaj, we have a video right after he spoke at Congress. The video then shows Abdurrahman introducing Wahaj as being the penultimate friend and leader, scholar for American Muslims. Who else did Wahaj know? In 1993, he had worked and done events with Sheikh, the blind Sheikh Omar Abdurrahman, the guy ultimately convicted to life for being the mastermind behind the 1993 World Trade Center bombing. And oh, by the way, he was an unindicted co-conspirator in that trial. Wahaj Sr. was. 
What are some of the other things Wahaj Sr. has said that he won't retract? Paul Barrett in the Wall Street Journal in October 2003 quoted him as saying, a society governed by strict Islamic law in which adulterers would be stoned to death and thieves would have their hands cut off would be superior to American democracy, unquote, said Siraj Wahaj. In reference to 9-11, Paul Barrett said that Imam Wahaj trafficked in 9-11 trutherism. He said, why is even a truth or who brushed off evidence that bin Laden's involvement was obvious? He said, I'm just not sure, sure. I want to be the one of the ones who say, yeah, he did it. He's a horrible man. He wasn't sure that bin Laden did it. Many years after 9-11. What else did Wahaj say? He said, if only Muslims were clever politically, they could take over the United States and replace the constitutional government with the caliphate. That's consistent with what I heard him say, by the way. If we were united and strong, we would elect our own emir. Take my word. In September 28, 1991, he said, Whoever is at war with my friends, I declare war on them. He told the audience of Muslims, Whoever is a friend of Allah, your true friend, is Allah, the messenger, and those who believe. What about Americans and Canadians? Well, hear it well when I'm telling you. The Americans are not your friends. The Canadians are not your friends. Hear what I'm telling you. The Europeans are not your friends. Your friend is Allah, the messenger, and those who believe. Those people will never be satisfied until you leave your religion. (laughs) And then he called America the devil. Government is controlled by shaitan, he said. On and on. There's droves. There's just droves of of, of quotes on homosexuality. I can't even repeat some of this stuff. On homosexuality, he said, over 25 million Americans, one out of 10, are men who prefer men. Now, there may be some who have some little tendency, but among Muslims, I don't think so. And today I'm here to tell you in our khutbah, the sermon, you can get rid of that if you have it in your heart. I want you to be able to defend against these homosexuals, he said. And then it goes on to talk about how gross he felt that in Toronto there were Muslim gays that were openly publicly gay. We don't accept it, we'll never accept it. No matter what the American and Canadian government legislate. And that audio is at our website and also at the Middle East Forum, thanks to their great work. Last, what does he say about Muslims in politics? I just want to say this, he said. In my opinion, what the Muslims do in America will have a profound effect on Muslims everywhere on this earth. As long as you remember that if you get involved with politics, you have to be very careful that your leader is Allah. You don't get in politics because it's the American thing to do. You get in it because it can be a weapon to use in the cause of Islam. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what groups like the the Arizona Muslim Alliance are trying to get to unite them.
How embarrassing is that? How is it that a Islamic school with a, a sophisticated, supposedly sophisticated board here in Phoenix, doctors and engineers and others, invites a guy with this kind of history? Do they not have Google? I mean, even if you want to do your taqiyya and pretend to be American, you're pretty dumb if you're doing this. You're putting this guy out there to lead and unify your community, or basically you don't care. I mean, they've even lost the skill of pandering. Well, I guess they're sort of learning from Linda Sarsour. Linda Sarsour gave a speech just last year in which she was proud of all that she learned from Imam Siraj Wahaj as she proclaimed her jihad, her jihad, her pride in her jihad against the White House and against President Trump. Linda Sarsour, now the, now the stumper who's stumping for Bernie Sanders. Their little duo of the red-green axis between the socialists and the Islamists. So here in Arizona, I think we have a little clinic, a little iconic clinic into what's happening in communities where there's no more filters anymore between the most strident Islamists and the ones that were better at concealing themselves. The Ilhan Omars and Rashida Tlaibs of the world, the Linda Sorsours have now unleashed an existence where the Islamists feel comfortable to bring in the most the most fiery and separatist of them. They don't care. And in some ways, I'll tell you, like I said about Omar, this is good. America's getting an education now into exactly who the Islamic establishment is. Exactly who the ideas are of those who claim to speak for our community and their history, who they've been associated with. It's not exactly a coincidence that people like Wahaj went from Omar Abdurrahman in 91, the World Trade Center, who happened to be a friend, but he had nothing to do with the attack. Yeah, I don't believe he had anything to do with it. That was well-researched, and he was never indicted. But he was a friend of his. And then he goes to give the speech, the opening prayer in Congress. And sure enough, Abdurrahman Alamudi sponsors him, and there goes Alamudi, 10 years later, to work with Al-Qaeda and try to kill the king of Saudi Arabia and bring him back cash, bags of cash and $300,000, $400,000. Fast forward another 10 years, and Wahaj's son is running a terror cell off the grid, teaching little kids to bomb schools and hospitals. And thankfully, it was stopped before it happened. And maybe Siraj Wahaj Sr. had something to do with it being stopped. But bottom line is, he's the alcoholic dad who stopped the kid from driving his car into a drunk driving his car into a family bus. And now the Arizona Muslim Alliance sees it fit that Wahaj Sr. launched their Celebrating Muslim Unity event. That is embarrassing. And if I have a breath in me on how much I love my faith, how much I love my country, how much I believe in God, I will speak out as much as I can to express that, yes, I go to the mosque. Yes, that is a community I belong to. 
but the leadership is Islamist and is radicalizing and corrupting our community. When they associate with people like Siraj Wahaj, they're teaching our kids to turn a blind eye to the most dangerous ideology in the 21st century, which is political Islam and the Islamic State ideology and the belief in a Sharia state and all of its punishments and, and medieval ideas that have yet to be reformed. We need to be teaching our kids that we need a new form of Sharia, a new school of thought, a new interpretation that gives women and men equality, that rejects the cutting of hands, that rejects stoning, that that uh, rejects the condemnation and mistreatment of the gay community. These are not things that are part of the 21st century and should not be part of a modern Islam. But to say that we don't have a leadership problem and that normative, whatever that is, normative Islam is not run by Neanderthals like Siraj Wahaj Sr. is absurd. And what's happening here locally, I think, is a clinic into the reforms that need to happen all over the country. And that's why we formed an organization, the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. We ask you to please find us on the web at aifdemocracy.org, AIF as in form, democracy.org. Find me on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D R Z U H D I J A S S E R. Find me on Twitter at Reform This Radio. Help us get the word out. There are many patriotic, God fearing Muslims that reject the radicalism of Islamists like Siraj Wahaj and their enablers like the Arizona Muslim Alliance. This is Zudi Jasser. We'll talk next week. God bless. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.